What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the E4 Explicit Podcast. And today I have Rebecca Katz, PhD, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. So you're got a, one of those. Yeah. So <laughs> you you have a lot of degrees. You have we're at Georgetown Medical Center, we're right next to it. Right. No, now. no. We are within. We are in the Georgetown University Medical Center right now. Okay. Good. Um. So I walked up a, a steep hill to get here, and my calves are burning. So. It is what it is. But um, so so you're a professor here. I am. Okay. Um, and I met you a couple of weeks ago. I was I was filming and you did a testimonial for me. And I heard you overheard you talking to someone about Ebola. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, what is she doing? And then so I talked to you and you were like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, a researcher scientist, you know, um, a professor, whatever, at Georgetown. And I, I focus on these terrifying diseases and i'm like okay well <laughs> we gotta talk so so now here we are so kind of give me a little bit of a background on yourself who, who am i who, who you are yeah who's right, rebecca fair Katz? enough so i as you said i'm a professor here at georgetown mm-hmm. and i direct the center for global health science and security um which is a multidisciplinary research center uh that um focuses on really kind of the policies and practices for preventing, detecting, and responding to public health emergencies, so kind of these scary diseases. And um, so I do that, and I can tell you a little bit about the work that we do here at the center, yep. and what, you know, who we are, what we are about. Um, and I also teach, and actually most of my teaching is in the School of Foreign Service. So I teach, as, I teach a course on global health diplomacy, on emerging infectious diseases, and then health security. Jesus, okay. So, so you literally live and breathe these, like, everything about how to con- how to find how to research how to contract these diseases like what like so kind of I'm an <laughs> epidemiologist by training okay. um, so I don't I'm not a clinician I don't treat patients got it um, and at the core what we do here is we're, we do policy so we apply all of our background knowledge so we have people who are microbiologists and virologists and disease ecologists and lawyers and I'm kind of our resident social scientist wow. um, and we apply that knowledge to thinking about the policies and practices for preventing, respe- preventing, detecting, and responding to these infectious diseases. So, um, whether that is, um, you know, does your country have an effective um, laws in place, uh, or is it? Do you have a, a policy? Do you have a, a, a um, do you have a, a way to move samples from one part of your country to another? How, do you have a disease di- surveillance system? Do you have God. networks to talk to each other? Are you, you know, what kind of, um, do you have the capacities you need to be able to effectively respond if you have a public health emergency? Jesus, uh, but are so, so you don't really focus on the U.S., right? Because we, I guess, technically got our stuff together in a in certain way. Uh, I mean, I think... Yeah. I, I used to do a lot of work on domestic, we call public health preparedness. Sure. Um, I do much less of that now, but when we talk about global health, it, it, we truly mean global, so it's domestic and international. Got it, okay. So what's like the main, or some of the main diseases that <laughs> you kind of cover or you let people know like, hey. Yeah. You know. So, I mean, I have to say a lot of our work is not necessarily disease specific. Um, it's. It's, you know, we, we'll look at, you know, the flow of money for all diseases. Mm. In this. But I can kind of cheat a little bit on your answer because the World Health Organization has a couple of lists that they use. And so I mostly agree with them. Yeah. And we mostly use those to think about what are the major diseases that we're following that we care about. I, there's, um, they, have, they have two lists. One 
two lists worth mentioning. One is that the kind of the top global health threats for 2019, um, which is a little bit broader than infectious diseases. So that includes things like vaccine hesitancy and um, non-communicable diseases. And then um, they also have something that they call the R&D blueprint. For, so what they, what they think are the priority diseases for research and development, like what do we desperately need vaccines for? Sure. And there's a list of 10. So that includes, um, that includes Nipah virus. Uh, so that's like the virus that the movie Contagion was modeled after. Mm -hmm. um, it includes uh, Lassa. So some of the hemorrhagic diseases like Ebola and Lassa and Marburg. Uh, it um, MERS. Wow. So Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. Um, so kind of the cousin of, of SARS. SARS, yeah. Um, it also includes something called they call like that they call disease X. And that's supposed to be the placeholder for any emerging infectious diseases, any emerging infectious disease that might pop up because we know that that's going to happen. And we disease don't, X? Yeah, that, that's that what they call terrifying. it, disease X. Um, but it, it's a great placeholder because we have, um, there's been approximately one new disease emerges every year for at least the last hundred years. And we've seen a fourfold increase in the number of those new, new diseases emerging over the last couple of decades. And some of them are not a big deal. Some of them are a big deal. Sure. So it's kind of keeping track of what is that next big thing going to be, what it's going to look like, how do we detect it, how do we respond to it if we don't even know what it is. Sure. Yeah, like how do you even, if you, if you know a new disease comes out every year basically, how do you prepare for something that you don't even know what it's going to do? Right. So you prepare for it by one having, I mean, having as healthy a population as you possibly can have, sure. right? So if, you're, if your population is completely malnourished and not able to fight off infection, sure. they're going to be worse off. Of so having a relatively healthy population, having, um, having those people have access to care. So if they get sick, it doesn't like, it doesn't brew somewhere for a while. Like sure. they actually can, can get they in can to get see clinical to, care. Yeah. Somebody can figure out what's going on to have a system in place for surveillance. So if a clinician sees something weird in a village somewhere, they can report it to somebody and that, that somebody can take data from a bunch of different villages mm. and make sense of it. So it's not like one off. So you That's can crazy. you can figure out something going on as fast as possible that you then have, um, you know, we call them rapid response teams, RRTs. So if you have an indication that something weird's going on, and you have laboratories that can quickly rule out that it's not malaria, yeah. right? So, and you have you have those kind of that infrastructure in place, then you, you ideally have a team that can investigate and they can start doing you know the true epidemiology and investigations that you would do for any outbreak. So, you know the who, what, where, when, why, um, and and that you know you would you would have the capacity to then know when you need to call in help and that we would ideally get to a point where we have diagnostic platforms where you you know you one test can rule out a whole bunch of things oh wow or we're not quite there yet you don't have but that yet, no? <laughs> we're, we're getting there okay um or you get to a point where you have a broad spectrum antibiotic where you know it's a or a, a drug that covers a lot of covers stuff. a bunch of stuff yeah um or that you have such like um good R&D in place that you can, you know, quickly identify what your new agent is and come up with what we call medical countermeasure, so a drug or vaccine, and not even that, but you would also then have the infrastructure in place to manufacture it for wow. enough people in the world that would need it. Like right there. Right there and then, and then also distribute it because the, the you know, keeping cold chain, keeping something cold and, get, you know, getting from 
getting from you know a lab bench where I'm like, oh, I've, I think I've come Got up it. with a solution to actually like getting a shot into a seven billion arms yeah. is is a logistical nightmare. So you know, putting all those all those processes in place helps you then ident you know helps you then address the the thing you don't know about. That's insane. That sounds so much like yeah. It, there's a lot. That's a lot. I well, it be, everything's a lot. So even just thinking. So you know, domestically, if you go to an emergency room on any given Tuesday, yeah, you're probably gonna have to wait a while. Yeah, especially if you're coming in with like I don't know broken legs. So yeah. something non-life-threatening. You're gonna sit there for a couple hours, if you're lucky. Yeah. So now imagine an event where a couple hundred or a couple thousand people show up in your emergency department. That's terrifying. So with How stuff you that you don't know well, yeah. or, me, or even something you do know but like something that some event happens how do you think about that what kind of infrastructure do you have in place for for surge capacity so well, that happens all the time with mass shootings here every time i watch a documentary or see a video about like when they interview the hospital people mm -hmm. they're like they had to t send 20 people to that hospital 10 people and then they got people laying in it's like a, a episode from Grey's anatomy like it's it's insane right. but yeah. you've you've practiced you've somebody has come up with a plan yes. for thinking about that yes. somebody has come up with and, and exercised it. it somebody has thought about you know okay our, the hospital is right behind me mm -hmm. um we don't physically have enough space where would you where do you physically put people yeah. would you call in the med students from this building to, to help. help out yeah. like yeah. how but y you have to you can't just do all that on the fly. You have to actually think about yeah. all that. Even thinking about, you know, if there was some type of event where we had to get, um, I mean, let, you know, like scaremonger, but like, like let, let's say no, there were some event where like everybody uh, in Washington, D.C. was exposed to anthrax. Sure. You can treat that, right? But you have to, you have to get treatment to the population in a certain period of time. Really? So even thinking about, you know, some, some, every disease is a little bit different, but sometimes um, you can do, you know, post-exposure treatment. So you may have like a three-day window where you could, hmm. you know, get certain antibiotic into somebody. But how do you do that? What are the logistics behind yeah. that? Um, you know, is it, and, and there's been a lot of different experiments with how you would manage responding like that to a, lar a, ma a massive event. Um, whether it's pre-positioning drugs with people, whether it is, you know, setting up all your big box stores that they would do distribution uh, sites, whether you're driving through McDonald's, you stick out your arm, you get your vaccine, yeah. you keep driving. They, <laughs> you they, know, they thought of that? They, I mean, at, uh, lots of things have been exercised. And in fact, it used to be the policy that um, uh, under Obama, there was a, a president, uh, an executive order that uh, was in agreement with the, with the post office. So the post office would like come and deliver your know Cipro to your house that that's not in place right now um and I don't I don't really know what what has come in place instead of it but you think that was a good idea I think it's an idea and yeah anything is better than nothing right yeah. so and that's I think that's a challenge there's no perfect solution to any of this but um a lot of the times it's just having sat down and figured out what are our options and what can we do that's insane are you do you uh do you uh are you a fan of the flu vaccine do you get your flu vaccine every year never miss it I bet you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Never miss every, you know. So I, 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 say, I don't remember last time I got a flu vaccine. So when I when I teach, the 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 two things I I tell my students if they take nothing else away from my classes, it's uh, get vaccinated. <laughs> I it, I used to just say just for flu, but now I'm like just please get all your childhood vaccinations as well. Um, so get your annual flu vaccine and uh, stay away from bats. So that's what? bats. Those oh, are like bats. that's that's my two like nuggets of wisdom Why? that I share. 
Like uh, vampire bats? No, like fruit bats. Um, they carry a lot of nasty diseases. <laughs> really? So Interesting. The, we think that the West Africa Ebola outbreak actually started by a, a, a two-year-old boy playing with bats in his backyard. <laughs> what? Yeah, because so oh all, all these emerging infectious diseases, somewhere in the realm of like 60 to 70 percent of them are zoonotic, which means that they're diseases in animals that are jumping into humans. Sure. Makes sense. Right. So the majority and Ebola. And that won't kill murs, the animal. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. It depends on it depends on the on the pathogen Got and it. it depends on the animal. So, um, like avian influenza, um, bird flu, mm-hmm. um, there were you know chickens who were getting it and getting sick and dying, but like the wild geese and the ducks we're were fine. fine. So hmm. it it really depends. Um, but yeah, so Ebola, Ebola West Africa. The the theory is that it was species jump from bats to people. That's a funny. I have a, a funny, not a funny, a crazy story about that. So that happened, and I think beginning of 2014 yeah. was the well, uh yeah it started december 2013 yeah. yeah so that's when i was i was in africa in december 2013 filming a documentary and like it, it's so weird so when i got my vaccination for i got yellow fever i got um malaria what well, no i didn't get my malaria yeah, some pills from malaria pills. Yeah. let me tell you i stopped taking them maybe day three day two or day three when i was in africa because i was nightmares. like no, <laughs> no, but you know what? It's weird. My second day there, for some, I went to I went to Sierra Leone, and um, so like, I didn't see any cows anywhere, and I just saw a bunch of dogs and like goats and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I ordered a burger the first night I was there, so I didn't I didn't know what it was, whatever. The next day, I, I was like tremendously sick. Like I was yep. throwing up. I was I didn't know if my body was just like reacting to like a new environment. I was I mean completely different climate, completely different just. Yeah. Totally different um, than here in D.C. So it was it was weird. And then I was like the next day after that, because I was there for like 30 days. The next day I was fine. And I was like, oh, I was really on it, taking my my pills. I'm like, oh, it's got to be because da, 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 I hope I don't get like malaria or something. So then I was I was fine. After that, I was like, I had a blast. Like I was I was never sick. <laughs> you got over. Yeah, I was like, I'm good. I'm like, you know, I it's see? insane. I, but, you know, like I said, there's a there's a lot of stuff out there. Sure. I, I mean. My story, in 1995, I was uh, living in southern India, and I was working oh in God. maternal child health clinics. Wow. And I got super sick. Really? Um, yeah, nobody could figure out what it was. So, oh. yeah, it took it. I ended up, ended up, coming, I ended up coming back home. And sick? then it took another, yeah, it took another eight months to figure it out. But it turns out the, the bug I caught was... Um, it's a it's an it's a disease that's endemic in the region, so it's not not unusual yeah. to see it. People get it and they get over it, probably. Yeah, and I got the goat version, so I, I it was either from like infected milk in my coffee or just airborne. Holy crap! Right, so you, like you never know. Well, that's the reason why I brought that up was because I thought it was weird because I would watch like Al Jazeera because I didn't get CNN, mm-hmm. and I'm like, why is everybody in America? freaking out right now about this ebola breakout right and i'm i'm you're li- there i'm literally oh, yeah, here you're there. no one's even talking about it it's like it's it's like when someone gets the cold here oh that person it, in the office if someone got sick here with a cold 
everyone wouldn't be like, oh, <gasps> like, you know, it, that's how I kind of compared it. It was so weird. And I'm thinking yeah. like, like, I'm. Well, how weird, even weirder for, you know, a lot of the coverage and even like the, the signs when you come back to say, have you been to Africa? I'm like, well, Africa's a pretty big place. You're right. You're right. It's, yeah. So, you know, have I been in Guinea? Maybe, yes. You know, have I been in like, Certain have I been places. in Conakry in Guinea? Yeah. But, um, wow. yeah, it's, it's always, it, I mean, as Africa goes, there were over 22,000 people who, who got sick, mm-hmm. over 11,000 people who died. In Africa. A, in, in, in West Africa. That's a yeah. massive That's amount a of people. huge outbreak. But 22,000 people in countries with <laughs> millions, yeah. right? It's, um, y- you might not see it or live it. Sure. Um, so even imagine if you're in like Kenya and somebody says, oh, you're in Africa, you're yeah. Ebola. I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a, Literally. There's, yeah. Yeah. Completely not even close. And that's the thing is like when I got back, everyone was like, oh, my God, freaking out. And I'm thinking like, like, first off, I was in like Sierra Leone in West Africa where it didn't even happen even remotely close it wasn't in Sierra Leone. It was in. Um, well, it was. It, well, it, it got to. It might not have been there when you were. Yes, there. It, yeah. it got to Sierra Leone after I left, but it yeah. wasn't even. And it wasn't even like. It was almost like a common thing, almost not not to that extent of like of a breakout, but it was like oh, it's well, it wasn't a big deal. You know, it's, uh, but whereas Americans are like. The world is in me. But it also, I mean, that's a communication challenge too, right? Sure. So. You might have been in a in a community that was like, oh, it's no big deal. There's sure. like a case here, but in order to contain it, it required a lot of behavioral modification that that everybody has to do. Got it. Right. So um, by 2016, nobody was like hugging and kissing anymore. Everyone just kind of did the the elbow shake. Um, in Africa. In in the areas where that the affected countries were, right? Jesus. So in Liberia, Sierra Leone, and yep. Guinea. Um, one of the huge challenges was changing burial practices because traditionally um when somebody dies you you wash the bodies and people touch the bodies and that's how the disease was spreading and so how do you someone would die with ebola they would have a funeral they would everybody would like exactly and that's so like one one person's death was causing you know lots of people were getting sick from from one funeral but if you're not seeing it and living it Having somebody come and say, hey, you need to change your traditional burial practices like, because there's this. Right. It, I mean, it, it took a lot of a lot of effort. And it was um, it's why actually, you know, we talked about all the kind of the logistics and capacity for responding to outbreaks. But a lot of times it's it's building a level of trust with the population that's Im- impacted, understanding their their perspectives. Yeah. And because uh, and, uh, often to mitigate an outbreak, you have to. You have to, people have to change what they're doing. Of course. But they're not going to do that unless they, who, who are you? Yeah. Who are you? What are You're you saying to me? Is this really a problem I yeah. have? So they have to understand, they have to actually um, understand that this is something they should care about. Yeah. And have to, you have to be a trusted broker and, and respect kind of their positions and figure out how to work with the communities. That's and sometimes insane. people forget to do that. Yeah. So would you say that like, would you say that like the, so if, because I remember in, it, it wasn't right after the outbreak, or was it? It was when someone came to Maryland that was infected with Ebola from mm-hmm. Africa. Is that something that, like, if that person came here, they could have, like, infected, like, thousands of us? Nah. Of us. Uh, so of so there, were, there, were, there were a couple of cases of Ebola in the United States of people who came back into the, 
it, it came, came into the country having been in West Africa. Um, there were also a couple of cases scattered throughout Europe, too. Wow. Um, it, the way Ebola spreads is it's by bodily fluid. Sure. So um, you, you walk down the hall, you're not going to get Ebola airborne. for anybody. Yeah. Now, if you're, you know, if you if you are in contact with somebody, you touch their sweat or their blood, or you know, somebody throws up on you, that's a t- totally different yeah. deal, that's right? It's never a good thing, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> never a good thing. Um, so, you know, a- and also we we are fortunate that we live in a country that has a really good healthcare system. Sure. Um, and, you know, our hospitals have gloves, and they have the, the they have basic personal protective equipment. Sure. Um, Still, if you're like the nurse taking care of somebody and somebody throws up, you know, there, there's a, a lot chance. of there's a lot more opportunity to become infected. So I think I don't think anybody ever expected that we would see thousands of cases here. But I think there was um, there was people were prepared. Public health officials were prepared to see, you know, a couple of um, kind of family clusters uh, or, okay. you know. Um, you, know, a, you know, some a healthcare worker sure, sure. Who, who wasn't able to take full precaution. But to your point earlier, we to have those systems in place where like they were prepared for something like that to happen. If God forbid it was going to happen, we would have had something. Because I remember they quarantined this guy. Yeah. We're out, like, there were a lot had, of people who. Yeah, they literally. Nope. Like you're going over here. You're not coming mm-hmm. in contact. Right. Like they, they were like very like thorough well actually what happened was um so every state had a slightly different process but um so uh we had folks from our team who were going back and forth to west africa and um living in dc maryland and virginia so we had all Ugh. you know every uh, every, every jurisdiction sure, to uh, deal with but um so everybody was given a um a phone and a thermometer and um you folks were reporting their, temp- you had to kind of self-monitor if, if you were low risk, right? So you didn't come back and say, hey, I wasn't, nobody threw up on me and I wasn't treating patients. Yeah. Like um, if it, you were just told to monitor yourself and if you had a spike in temperature, then you had to, you know, report it. And so, uh, you had to, um, again, ju- different jurisdictions did differently. Some people were like putting their te- daily temperatures on the, on a website. Some people got a phone call every day. Wow. Um, and that was if if anybody had spiked a temperature, if, if anybody looked like they were getting sick, then absolutely they would have been they would have been isolated. Wow. Um, and that that was that was how it was usually managed. Some people were were, were put in quarantine. Um, and then there was a lot, a lot of really interesting debate about what our quarantine policies are in the United States. Because you see in the movies all the time, it's like these hazmat suits and like all this crazy stuff, like yeah, in Contagion, scary. that was it's insane. It's all scary, yeah. right? And quarantine by definition is kind of scary, right? So the idea with quarantine, so somebody knocks on this door and says, hey, you know, you guys have been exposed to something. Sure. Um, and all right, so we're going to keep you in this room <laughs> and we're going to lock the door and you can't leave. Okay. And we're looking at each other and we're like, all right, that's fine. You know, I got some work to do. Yeah. You know, hang out. Figure it out. Um, couple hours in like you know we're like so we start like looking at each other a little funny like, like so what did you do yeah. who were you exposed <laughs> to you know like you start to kind of turn on each other a little bit yeah or you know six o'clock at night i want to go home i want dinner i'm getting annoyed yeah um quarantine is the worst like nobody wants to be quarantined yeah but and, and there's all sorts of things you can do to make it better right so like 
if somebody left us in here to our own devices and said, you're it, that's one thing. If they came and like delivered us food yeah, and made it you know, nice. brought us some phones, yeah. and, you know, <laughs> yeah. we got to Skype with people, yeah, um, you know, that, that would, so there's ways to make it, or, you know, here's 10 bucks for your worries. Sure. Um, Thanks. It, it, it's nobody wants to do it, but when you have an outbreak, you have an outbreak and you don't have a treatment. It's one of the it's one of the tools in the public health toolbox. So it's one of the things you can actually do to mitigate an outbreak. Got it. Um, but it it's not so hot for social for civil liberties. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do it. So there's a there's a big difference between somebody knocking on the door and saying, "Hey, you guys have to be in here. Can't leave." And we go, "Okay, you know, we want to make sure nobody else gets sick, so we're going to do this." That's different than putting an armed guard outside. Not you letting know, us in and not, and and you know so and and that's what's been done in the past. So, you know, treating people like criminals because they might have been exposed to a disease doesn't really go over very well. Sure. But you know, sometimes you end up treating people like criminals because they get anxious and they want to know them. And like you know, three days in, we're sitting here and we can't stare at each other anymore. We yeah. want, we, we're doing everything we can to break down the door. Yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah, no, it's, that would suck. It totally sucks, but. It's a tool. Is it effective? Um, it sometimes. Like if if you have to use it, it's for a reason. It's a if good reason. If you have to use it, it's for a reason. Got it. But um, there's not a great evidence base for when it's effective. Hmm. Um, but but it's been used, you know, centuries. Yeah, no, it's definitely a. I mean, it it, it, it it's a, it's a physical stop, right? So yeah. if we're the only people exposed to the disease and they don't let us outside this room, then nobody else outside this room is going to be exposed to the disease. Damn. Yeah, so it's... On the other hand, it's not terribly effective if, yes, we've been exposed and we're being quarantined, but like 30 other people are roaming around the hall and they've been exposed. And sure. It then it's disease. obviously not going to work or be right. effective. Got it. Okay. So are you a fan of... Uh, I know you said you tell everyone to get their, their childhood vaccines and stuff like that because... For instance, my little sister, Uh-oh. she lives in Ojai, California. And okay. She's like, she's, you know, she's like, she's not a hippie, but like she has very holistic viewpoints and Fair stuff enough. like that, which I think actually um, her and my nephew's father, they might have recently in the past year or two got him vaccinated because they had like a, they first were on the same page with it. And then they, mm-hmm. he was like, mm, let's, let's get him vaccinated. I don't know if they did or not. Um, but it would kill me because I'm like, oh, well, we're just going to get a pass, a note for him to go to public school. And to, I'm like, he can't play sports. He can't do any of those things, given a fair yeah. chance. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you're like cringing. But right. it's like, I, I get it. But it's like, doesn't that like affect? Because if correct me if I'm wrong, if one person, one kid in a group of 20 are not vaccinated, that makes the group weaker. Yes. No. OK. All right. So, yeah, you can uh, no, no, the, the, it's called herd immunity. Got it. So a lot of the vaccines that we give people are not aren't a hundred percent effective, and so their effectiveness is derived from the fact that everybody has it. And they work together. Exactly. Hmm. Um. Yes. I, it, there, there is unfortunately a lot of um. There's a lot of reasons that people are hesitant to become vaccinated. Sure. Um, and for different vaccines. Um. There's also a lot of misinformation, unfortunately. Yeah, like the autism thing. There's never exactly. been a, a re- an, nope. a res- or an effective research. There's never been any evidence or research that that is a contributor to autism. There was bad research that yeah. was put out and that was then discredited. Yeah. And there's like thousands of 
of websites and stuff on social media that are that are putting out misinformation that are scaring people. Yes. Um, and again, it's a, as mentioned, public health has a communication problem. That's one of them is trying to, how do you, how do you deal with misinformation Yeah. and how to make sure that, you know, you effectively communicate the importance of, of vaccines to populations who aren't sure about them. Yeah. But, oh my gosh, please ever, yes, get vaccinated. Um, measles right now is, so, um, basically measles had been eliminated from yep. the United States yep. and we are now seeing thousands of cases um, because of communities who are not vaccinating. Yep. There's a there's a, a book on Amazon called something in her measles like it's like a kid's book about their, this person is saying that like measles is good for them because it, yeah, it's no. it's something crazy and I'm like what the hell so like let me let me tell you the craziest thing. so so yes there are a lot of people who who there are not there are some people who are like well you know my mom or grandmother yeah. had measles and they were fine they just had a rash and they were okay mm-hmm. it's some for some people some people get extraordinarily ill sure um, some people die and there's some crazy recent research that's come out that measles um, measles does something. So if you get it naturally, yes, you'll develop immunity going for it. But it 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 like it it does like almost like a control alt delete on the on the memory of your immune system. What? So if you are if you are living somewhere where you've had malaria and you've had all sorts of other stuff and you've built up immunity to some diseases over time and then you get measles, um, it actually, your body like forgets, not a hundred percent, but forgets about your immunity. Wow. So you, you have that you're then, you're then open up to get sick from a whole bunch of other stuff. Oh my God. Yeah. It, it's insane. And I'm, I, I'm not sure like there's there's it's evolving research on this. Um, so some people are like, oh, you'll you know, you, you start from scratch. Some people are like, well, it's like three to five years of, you know, your immune system, like not being to- as effective as it used to be. Oh but no matter what regardless, it is, that's, it's insane. That's insane. Yeah. yeah. Regardless, that's terrifying that all the stuff that you've built up over. I'm 31. All these years could be just gone, you know, now, like, but the diseases that are coming back, I mean, polio is like what like well, polio is uh, so you know he, massive effort by international organizations to um to eliminate polio and mm-hmm. uh, so you can do this so i talked about diseases that live in animals if you have a disease that live in animals it's almost impossible to totally get rid of it yeah. right because Unless you're you jumping back and forth sure. between species so when we look at diseases that are just in humans like smallpox we were able to eradicate because it's only in humans and there was a vaccine so there was a way to do it polio was one of these so there was this massive effort uh, rotary international like led this effort and they worked with gates foundation and a bunch of other organizations and like we're going to get rid of polio and the the you know the the, the curves it used to be, you know, thousands and thousands of cases and then down to by 2013, like only a handful of cases around the world. Yeah. Problem was that those handful of cases were mostly in um, kind of ungoverned spaces. Sure. So like the tribal region, Afghanistan, Pakistan, northern Nigeria, you know, places Congo. where, yeah, places where, you know, there was there was instability. Sure. So you couldn't do the massive vaccination campaigns. 
Um, and because of that, the disease has popped up and then it's now like there's a bit of a resurgence of, of cases around the world. Again, mostly in these, in these difficult to reach areas. Um, so those aren't from like people not getting their ch- children vaccinated. No. Interesting. No, it will. It might be, you know, cause you can't get vaccinated in, For, yeah. you know, wherever you happen to be in, in the mountain, in the Hindu Kush. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Good luck. Well, and also, you know, there were uh, polio um, vaccine workers who were targeted and assassinated. And what? what back yeah, up. What do you mean? So, uh, you know, um, it's a ch- it's a challenging space. There's there were a couple of things going on. One, um, when um, Osama bin Laden was captured and killed, mm-hmm. they wanted to make sure that they had proof, DNA proof that. It was Osama bin Laden. Sure. So there was an effort. They, there was like a fake immunization, like a doctor who knocked on the door and like swabbed the kids in the house to get the, uh, part of this DNA sure. effort. But it was all like hidden behind an immunization campaign. So that that immediately put kind of a, a target mark on the back of pol- polio vaccinators working in in Pakistan. What? Um and which are unfortunately mostly like young women. Yeah. Um, so there were a bunch of young women who were uh, assassinated, who were doing vaccine work. Um, also, why, why did they why did they blame those polio? Because it was a, like a like a CIA effort, to, like a doctor shit. who you know they they pretended to be doing a vac- a public Got health it. campaign, right, Got to it. get so then to get the DNA to prove that it was Osama bin Laden. So they're like, oh, these ladies are doing this, blah, blah, blah. It just kind of, it, it, wow. it became a really bad PR for them. And then, you know, there's been a lot of, um, there's been a lot of misinformation around the world. At yes. one point there was, there was accusations that these um, vaccination campaigns were efforts to sterilize Muslim children. You know, so uh, people, people put, any stuff out yeah. there and if it gets picked up enough clickbait right so um so it's been a challenge in in some places to get over misinformation and to to prove you know this this will save your kid so how frustrating is that as someone who lives and breathes this stuff that n- literally s- has done the research seen the research done all that stuff and then you see like some bozo website or or well, some bozo link on facebook that says autism links to you know vaccinations and you're literally like but see that's the thing that people are not taking the time to read those articles but you know so let me put put a different way i'm a public health professor yeah so my job is to make sure the public understands health right exactly yeah so i see that and i'm like well we're not doing a good enough job yeah so we need to get better about our communication strategies about making sure that people are able to differentiate good information from bad information about having trusted resources but how uh, it, yeah. it could be all sorts of things. Right. So there's now an effort by you know, even the way, you know, if you go onto Amazon, the way that they categorize um, the, the, the material on there. Yeah. So, you know, something that's like that I would think is, is complete misinformation. You don't categorize it under like health and medicine books. That's the thing. It, that's the, that's the thing. that's scary is. First off, Amazon doesn't even with the books and stuff. They don't sit. They don't have a system to where they can. If you wrote a book and I wrote a book and I'm just making up stuff, they're not going to say, "Oh, this person." They're not going to do their research on me. You know what I mean? Which is right. unfortunate because that just makes your guys' job ten times harder because you're you're going against people that 
don't know what they're talking about. They just want to sell a book or, or get some clicks or do this or do that. And that's scary. Yeah. So we got to be better. Yeah. So as much as I hate, uh, you know, doing anything that involves a camera, yeah. I'm going to go sit and talk to you about stuff <laughs> yeah. for a while. Right. Yeah. I, it, it, and and then you have to have conversations with groups like Amazon to say, okay, I know this isn't your job, but if you if you think about you know what what small things could you do that don't infringe on anybody's ability to you know participate in the free market, yeah, but also don't you know um, don't inadvertently um, endorse something. Yeah, don't lump all of these things together that. Like you said, and might, I, I think I accurate. think folks when they when they realize what's going on are open to having those discussions. Sure. I now agree. you know what what they what they can and can't do, and still you know maintain their platforms. Yeah, it's not my space. You know, it just sucks because it, like like I was telling you earlier, I was listening to the the podcast on uh, on Joe Rogan, and he had mm-hmm. literally the conversation we're having right now is the same exact conversation he had with this this gentleman who wrote a book and he was like sponsoring his book but he was saying on Amazon he's like there's 15 other people ahead of me on Amazon and all of them are like bogus like they're not even legit like researchers or anything and he's just like it kills him because he's like I can't Amazon's not gonna like sit there and put someone in charge of like vetting these people but or the internet or the internet right. yeah it's just there's so much I guess fake news as, as far as if you want to call it that out there about this kind of stuff. And it's, mm. it's scary because like my sister, like first off, I don't want her to like make a decision like now thinking from like a couple people's opinions that don't know what they're talking about to right. affect my nephew's life. You know, unfortunately, I, for the rest I of mean, life, it's you know hard, I mean? right? I, I, even as knowing what I know, I remember like bringing my kids in when they were infants to get their vaccines. And you're like, like, what the hell is this? Oh my gosh. Like, I know this is fine, but like, it's still hard. Yeah. You know, they're crying. They're, you know, they, they might, they might get a fever for a couple sure. of days. There, there are adverse reactions to vaccines. It, I mean, it's, it, it does happen. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, we, we can't, we can't pretend that it doesn't. Yeah. It's a small, but, small percentage it's just very uh, small yeah. and you, you can pull up the the accurate numbers mm-hmm. actually uh hopkins has a vaccine um a, a center that studies this that puts out really excellent really uh, excellent data um but you know so yes it's hard but i i you know it's part of living in society yeah you know if you i mean your parent your kid you want to live on a farm and not interact with people, you do whatever you want. Yeah. If you want to live in a city and be around people all day, then you, I think you have a obligation to, to do what you have to do to be part of that protected population. I agree. And I think it's like, but to your point, like if my sister lived in a, like a farm in the middle of nowhere, no, she Rock lives on, do whatever you want. 45 minutes away from Los Angeles, California. So like a major metropolitan city. And I, had a, I had a cousin who uh, delayed vaccination of his kids living on the Upper West Side drove like, me crazy. That's insane. I didn't like talk to him for a couple of years. Yeah, no, and that's, <laughs> and that's what scares me is like it's not just her. It's like in Ojai, they're very like they're, they're everyone is like that. Mm-hmm. It's not just like and there's a lot of people like that on the West Coast that are just like more laid back and this and that and uh, or or think a certain way. So like when you have those clusters of people, like you said earlier, if if a giant cluster of people don't do that, that's going to affect. Uh, even larger cluster of people around them, right? Uh, it's why we're seeing large outbreaks in Orthodox uh, Jewish communities in New York right now. Oh, 
because of, of like measles. It, because you have yeah measles because you're having communities that are that are kind of reinforcing each other. Wow. Um, and then you get you know one infected kid and and then they all get sick. Measles is insanely contagious. You know yeah. we talked about Ebola like not actually being that contagious. Well, that's airborne, isn't it? Isn't measles airborne? Yeah. So Ebola, I- there's something in epidemiology called the R naught, which is the reproductive rate. Okay. So um, it tries to kind of average out like for every person that gets sick how many people they get sick okay so for ebola it's maybe one wow sometimes less so if i'm sick i might get one you person might get sick. one person sick. okay that's like that's it's not good. so bad right yeah. and if you have a are not of less than one you know if you if you can do the, the thinking on yeah. that your outbreak's going to die out sure it influenza we're like it maybe have an R naught like up to three. Yeah, like you might get three people sick. Interesting. Hmm, you're sneezing and coughing. All over I would everybody. think that's more. Yeah, because if it's like a projectile, like you know, <laughs> measles. Fourteen, fifteen. What? It is so incredibly contagious. Oh my! In God. fact, if somebody with measles had been in this office, um, two hours before, the the virus is still in here. We could get infected. You know, two hours after somebody has left. It's just floating around. Yeah. I mean, it is insanely, uh. insanely contagious, which is why, you know, it's a huge problem in urban areas, right? Because sure. it's so many people, so many people. That's insane. Yeah. So like the, the, the side effects of music is doesn't it affect you mentally. No, it, it can be a complication. You can have like an encephalitis as a as a complication. Wow! Yeah. And how do you die from it? Because like I know a lot of people. Oh, it's just you're a not rash. gonna die from a rash, right? You'll yeah. die from the the complications. Interesting. Yeah. If so, if it's not treated. But when it, if I, you I have think it, even even it, like it, again, I'm not a clinician, yeah, so yeah, no. I don't know. But it's um, it it becomes these these complications. It's not necessarily related to whether you're treated or not, but just the course of the the. The bug in your, the virus in your body. Wow. Have you heard, this is a, this is a total sidetrack. Have you heard of the, are you familiar with parasites at all? <laughs> yeah, I know a little bit about them. Yeah. So have you seen, have you heard about the parasites that, that control minds? No. There's I ones, there, I forget what it is. There's this little worm parasite that gets into a grasshopper. They only go after grasshoppers. Okay. It goes into a grasshopper and it makes it commit suicide by jumping and drowning in water. It's I, like every bad. Um, I, I can see the, like the zombie apocalypse. That's terrifying. Like, like yeah. yeah. I'm like, but there's like other parasites too that like do that. Like literally, mind control their host. It that like uh, once again, I heard it on the podcast. Yeah, I, I heard it. Therefore, it's yeah, true. it's real. No, but these are like people like you that like <laughs> literally do these research. That's fucking crazy. So, what the measles? What it's that's from the animals, right? Yeah, I'm, I don't want to go into measles. I don't know it well enough. Yeah, wh- right? what are these from? But no, no, it's not It's not a disease in animals. D- measles is just in humans, which is why we were able to... Have a vaccine for it. Yeah, and, well, well, you can have vaccines for other... Th- we have a vaccine for Ebola that seems to be incredibly effective. Really? Um, yeah, it's an experimental vaccine. It's gone into over 130,000 people right now. There's, a, there's an outbreak going on right now in the DRC. Oh. Yeah, it's really bad. Really? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm going off of measles, but no, um, the DRC outbreak is worth talking about. Um, sure. DRC, explain. So the Democratic Republic of Congo? Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind, yeah kind and of. it's in the, the outbreak that's happening right now. has been going on almost a year in the northeast um, area of the country. So okay. right near like the Uganda-Rwanda border. Um, 
there have been over 2,000 cases already. Jesus. Um, even though there's this vac- there, is an, there is an experimental vaccine, Merck, that Merck produces that um, has gone into over 130,000 arms. So in the DRC. In the DRC as well as in like the surrounding regions and um, resp- first responders. So even though they've been vaccinating people, there's still over 2,000 people have gotten it. And the real challenge in this particular outbreak is um, this, this region of the world is um, uh, it, it, there's a lot of conflict. Yeah. So it's ungoverned. It, the, like the the national government really doesn't have control. There's a lot of different armed militias yeah. that are operating, um, and it is a really really hard place to to work. So there have been um, there have been Ebola responders who have been targeted and killed. Um, last week, a, a lab was broken into and they stole all the computers and the a very expensive piece of equipment to do diagnostic testing, which nobody else would be able to use except it was used for diagnostic testing. Yeah. Um, Ebola treatment units were been burned down. So it makes it really hard to operate. Um, the normal strategy that you do for, to vaccinate um, for an outbreak like this is something called ring vaccination, which would be, you know, if, if you were sick, then, you know, I would get vaccinated. And then like my family would get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And then a ring around my family would get vaccinated. Yeah. And you kind of build out in rings and rings and rings. But because they go in and it's such an unstable environment, um, they don't have time to do that type of ring vaccination. Yeah, so they do instead like, all right, we're just going to get the whole village as fast as we can in the hour we've got before the militias return. Right. So it's, it's really it's really complicated. Why, why do people not want this outbreak to stop? It's not about that. I mean, the, the rebels don't want Ebola either. Right. Yeah, right. Um, I think it's it's about think this again not an expert in in this part of the world but my understanding is this is a region that um has had so much conflict that there's not a lot of trust for officials sure so who is this person who are these folks so what you talked about earlier like you have to have that trust and that relationship for people to let you come into their own place and tell them how to operate and it's really hard so for public health officials do you come in with an armed guard yeah um that doesn't it's not great for your trust building, sure. but if they're attacking you, you need an armed guard. Yeah. So, you know, how, do, how does that work? And different organizations have different perspectives on that. Like, so um, Doctors Without Borders tends to, to, to not, but then two of their facilities were attacked and burned. Wow. Um, if you go in with, uh, with the UN peacekeeping force behind you, it, that seems pretty official. Like, so the, yeah. the community is not interested. And so if, if and if part of, Part of the, the challenge is getting the community to change their behavior or change the way they bury people or to allow you to do a safe and dignified burial of somebody and not attack the ambulance um, wow. to get the body back. You know, it, it's just really, really hard. That's insane. Now, is that people that are f- Americans going over there to do all this research and do all this this outbreak? Kind um, of? This outbreak's a little bit different because it's such an insecure environment. We don't have... Um, we don't have many U.S. personnel on the ground. Wow. So there are CDC officials who are supporting the outbreak, 
Um, some of them are in, in Geneva working with the WHO. Some are in Uganda and Rwanda making sure that people on the border are ready and prepared. Some are in, in capital, but there's, there's very few near the epicenter of the outbreak itself because it's not safe. It's too dangerous. It's too dangerous. Um, so instead, it's um, a lot of WHO staff um, there, and there's a lot of kind of South, South cooperation. So there's um, uh, epidemiologists from Guinea who are in the wow. DRC helping out. So it's, it, you know, there's a, it's an, it's a interesting collection of people who Collective are, who effort. are incredibly dedicated, who are literally putting their lives on literally. the line. Um, but it's, it doesn't have the massive influx of expats coming in to save the day because it's just not safe. Yeah. There's a, we think there's an important role for academia in trying to provide the evidence base for decision making, right? And so the knowledge too. You guys got to. So put we're the trying, right? So one of the things that we're doing, um, uh, so it's a, a little bit off, but I, I track money. So oh. I track the amount of money that is flowing to help build capacity, so countries are able to be able to prevent, detect, and respond. Interesting. Um, and in the last 10 years, a lot of money starts getting thrown at stuff and thrown at certain countries for some capacity building, but not others. So we, we try to get our head around that and to identify the data so we can we can look at it. We, we make everything public and online and available, but then you can start doing the analysis behind it. So, mm. you know, is the relationship between the amount of money that um, the world has given to, say, Kenya to do laboratory capacity building and their actual effectiveness in responding to an outbreak? And so, you know, you, you can't answer that question unless you have the data behind sure. it. And then if it's not about the money, then what is it? And what kind of, you know, what are the hypotheses that you then want to be testing for? Like, what are the relationships? Is it more the commitment of the government itself? Often, yes. Yeah. Right. So instead of just dropping money in, maybe it's more effective if you kind of work with the government to identify, like, why do they care about this? Why should they care about this? And, you know, and, and to and, or to build their workforce or to build. You know, so there's. There's a lot of, there's a, it's kind of boring and it's wonky and it's policy and it has to be done, you know, in an office. not, well, it has to be done in an office. It doesn't matter where in the world the office is, right? Yeah. But um, by people who, who don't mind going through the data and, and, and then spitting that back out and giving it back to decision makers so they can ideally make better data-driven decisions. Of course, and, yeah. and that's actually one of the reasons we're doing this conference uh, next week in Sydney. So we've got... 860 people from all over the world who are coming in to present their work on uh, and all sorts of different aspects of global health security, um, whether it's on antimicrobial resistance or on the more the, the the role of militaries or you know new lab cap lab capacity things or new ideas for disease surveillance or what does community based disease surveillance look like? Oh, there's all sorts of crazy research. But the idea is to to bring everybody together. So one, you, you know about it because there's a lot of research we don't even know about. Yeah. And then also to be able to communicate that to the, the governments and the philanthropies and the folks that are actually making decisions and, and doing stuff. Yeah. Okay. So last question. All right. Do you, do you think in the future or ever there will be like one vaccine that will kind of like prevent everything? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you were saying earlier, like there's some things that like... So, I don't, I don't think one for everything, but um, I there's a lot of folks who are very much hoping that sometime in the next 10 to 20 years we have a universal flu vaccine. That's recent. Because if you were going to ask me what do I think is like the 
the the thing that worries me the most influenza really mm. because you know there's seasonal influenza there's a you know what yeah. what you should be getting your seasonal vaccine for and it doesn't always match that that yeah, type of yeah, flu right you know it's not it's not perfect <laughs> but it's getting better you're still going to be better off yeah, to get it exactly but so we have the seasonal strains and then there's pandemic strains so these are strains that emerge every once in a while that um they just have a much higher case fatality rate. Sure. So, you know, we, the, the, the last huge one was 1918, right? Yeah. So that was 1980, Spanish flu. Yeah. Killed about 50 million people around the world. And that was before we were actually like a, you know, connected world. Sure. Um, That's a lot of people. Right. And that was when you were still traveling via, you know, ship. Yeah. We now have 10 million people every single day on an airplane. So things move around the world much faster now. Our trade is in, in, interconnected. Everything's yeah. interconnected. And you get a, so everyone, every you know, 20, 30 years-ish, you get a strain that pops up that has a much higher fatality rate. Um, we've had a couple of scares. So H5N1, the bird flu. I remember that, yeah. Right? We, um, case fatality rate of around 50%. Now, Spanish influenza, wow. case fatality was like three to five percent so if all the people who got sick only like not that many people died and 50 million people died so imagine so 50. imagine like a an influenza strain that spreads pretty easily but kills a lot of people and that scares that oh that's God. what i think most people in my profession are the most scared of um actually bill gates ran some models that um he predicted that sometime his he has this amazing team of disease modelers working for him. And his folks are telling him that it's probable that sometime in the next 10 to 15 years, we will see an airborne, you know, respiratory virus emerge that has the capacity to kill up to 30 million people in a year. And now, but that, that you know, he uses them that to show what, what good preparedness and response would do. So if you were able to get a vaccine out within six weeks, you save 29 million people. Wow. Right. And so this is the, Ga the Gates Foundation, no? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's done some, they've done some really incredible right. things. So, I, uh, you know, so, so that's the thing that I, I, I worry about, that's which crazy. is why, you know, a universal flu vaccine would just be ideal, would, would be game changer. That's insane. You, and it's, uh, is it because a lot of people don't take it that serious? N is no. what's scary about it because it's like oh well no i think i think a influenza like this people would oh they would but yeah. i'm saying like the the h1 the, oh. the, the bird flu that was like like i was saying earlier about the ebola thing it was like yeah it was scary when it was like almost like in the 11th hour people were trying to be serious yeah. about well, it well there's two things right so there's the h5n1 the bird yes. flu which um i think people were scared about but it, d it never sustained human to human transmission okay. so it's kind of this scary thought yeah, but exactly. it's not our problem yet yeah that's what i'm saying h1n1 was the pandemic from 2009 okay um is that from pigs yeah that was the swine flu one. yeah the swine flu. um and I, the problem there was it wasn't um it wasn't as um severe Okay. as other strains got it so a lot of people got, became complacent about it like oh, i'm not gonna bother getting That's my vaccine saying. i'm not gonna do this it's not that big yeah. of a deal we're really lucky it wasn't that big of a deal and it was a really big deal for the people who did get sick and yeah. and you know had a had a hard time with it but um 
Yeah, it's it's really again it gets back to risk communication and crisis communication and what are real threats and what are things that people actually, you know, feel are real sure. versus you know, how are do you, are yeah yeah. So get your flu vaccination. Get your flu vaccine. Don't play with bats. Yeah, <laughs> it's all good. All right, good. Well, <laughs> thank you for for doing this. I really sure. appreciate it. Um, and where can people find you? Are you on social media? Do you have a website? Uh, yes, or anything? all of that. Um, so uh, our center, the website is ghss.georgetown.edu. Stands for Global Health Science and Security, Kay. Georgetown. Yep. Um, and that that's links to all the work we're doing and some cool online tools we have. I'm on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Katz Five. Uh, one of my old students set it up for me, <laughs> so it's yeah. And you're just on Twitter. You're not on Instagram or anything like that. E- I feel like Twitter for uh, Twitter for work. Yeah, that's the thing. That Instagram you can for like you know fun. Personally, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. All right. Well, once again, thank you for doing this. And Thanks. That was a, this was Thanks a good conversation. Coming. Yeah, I know. Excellent. Absolutely. So that's it uh, for the E4 Explicit Podcast, and we'll see you next time.